0: Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, Savior of Mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be Savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, Guardian Angel and Savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa from bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now with Nancy Sliwa,
1: here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, the most listened to, requested of the many hours that I broadcast here at WABC. The acronym standing for always broadcasting Curtis, and uh, this is the hour that showcases uh, my wife Nancy animal rescuer, uh, who um, is involved in so many aspects of animal welfare. So once again, uh, we have a lot to share with our audience, uh, Nancy, this uh, program being heard all over the world because once it's dusk, this uh, station, which is the number one in the nation by day, becomes the number one global radio uh, magnet uh, overnight. And we have good news Flacco, the exotic owl who somehow had been extricated from the Central Park zoo, has been spotted alive and well, can you give us an update?
2: Yes, so apparently, there's a lot of people keeping an eye on Flacco in general, so uh in spite of the initial concerns and warnings, Flacco is striving, but you know Central Park really couldn't hold this bird, so it traveled uh to the east side and I think it was as of maybe last night. It was, like, the most recent sighting. It's uh, between, like, 1st and 2nd Avenue in the lower numbers, like 3rd Street. So, uh, you know, it had a picture of Flacco on a window. It's clearly doing fine and, uh, you know, fending well for itself.
1: Well, let's go back to the concerns. Somebody still, nobody knows who did it, uh, undid the uh, caging that Flacco was in, in the Central Park Zoo. It was like a net. So they had cut through the net. Flacco escapes. Flacco is flying all over Central Park. He's hanging out on the avenues, especially on the east side, Fifth Avenue. And, I mean, dozens of bird watchers have assembled going, whoop-a-whoo, whoop-a-whoo, looking at him through their binoculars, preaching doom and gloom, he'll never be able to survive. He's been hand-fed since he's a chick. He knows no other way of survival. Would you explain to everybody what exactly happened and why Flacco is still alive and seemingly doing quite well for himself?
2: Well, I mean, again, it, I, I think the the idea that they're going to lose their natural instincts, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, I, I, and I don't believe that it was that Flacco was even hatched necessarily, um, you know, within the the zoo confines. But, you know, I mean, there's a reason why they have a a natural instinct in general. So, I mean, they'll know how to, you know, uh, uh, sort of find food sources. And clearly, you know, I mean, they're very intelligent creatures. So, you know, the idea that they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves. Now, obviously, the dangers for any animal that's going to be outside in New York City would be, uh, you know, the the obvious things, you know, like the, the traffic or the poisons that are put down. But, you know, clearly Flacco has the ability to, uh, you know, be above the the dangers of, you know, just being on the ground itself. And then also, you know, I think it's showing that Flacco's even smart enough to, uh, you know, make sure that not getting any uh, rats that are poisoned or any sort of, you know, wildlife that might have been poisoned. So, again, I think it's just very instinctual.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, some of the first uh, scenes of Flacco because they are nocturnal, the owls, like the rats are, like the mice, like feral cats are, is that he would swoop from a perch in Central Park and feed on the mice and feed on the rats, which is a great way of keeping that population at bay. And I believe, Nancy, because the Lower East Side has one of the highest per capita per person rat populations uh, in the city that he basically followed the rats, and he is uh, eradicating rats. So it might be that, it might do uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, who's uh, under a great deal of duress since he hates rats, to award Flacco an honorary award as Rat Killer of the Year.
2: I mean, it it, it certainly couldn't hurt. Uh, You know, and actually it's funny you mention that too, because the rat czar who was supposed to be super vocal and I remember that being one of the job requirements, like always always in the public eye and letting the media know what the next plan is. I, I heard one plan from this person that sounded really ridiculous, and I've never heard anything else. So, yeah, clearly, uh, you know, not any really smart plan. So maybe Flacco is the plan.
1: Yeah, well, the mayor, with everything going on uh, uh, with his political career on the ropes, actually went into court again to fight a fine about rats on his property at Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy, where he owns that brownstone, that four-story brownstone. And the judge sided with the mayor again. But I could easily see Flacco being perched on that brownstone, and he'll never have a problem uh, with a rat inspection again.
2: That's certainly possible, certainly possible.
1: And for all of those who don't like pigeons... Because, as you know, you and I, we love pigeons, Nancy. Our owner-operator, John Katzmatidis, loves pigeons, loves to feed the pigeons. But if you want to keep pigeons off your property, <laughs> use the plastic owls. It is much more humane than what they do by putting spikes up on the uh, all the uh, sort of portions of the building that a, a pigeon might uh, find itself to perch uh, or using poisons and things like that that uh, just so cruel you put up these plastic owls we have them on our block uh, some of the uh, owners of the buildings and the pigeons don't go there they don't go there
2: yeah i mean again it's there's there's many methods to deter um i'm not quite sure how you know this has you know become somehow of an acceptable uh approach to trying to rid your property of you know, birds perching there. I mean, again, but it just, you know, it's uh, unfortunately isn't surprising because New York City really doesn't, you know, go out of its way to protect any of these animals. So
1: for those who grew up in the country, it's like a scarecrow in a cornfield. The crows stay away from the scarecrow. The pigeons stay away from the plastic owls. So do the more humane thing because there are many buildings in this city. They have these spikes and it is horrific. Anyway, on that note, We have now a new invasion. It's not the illegal aliens alone. It's the invasion of bedbugs. And we've had that from time to time. And it's stuff you can't see. You can't necessarily see that the bedbugs you've carried into the house. uh, They're almost microscopic. And uh, immediately when people are uh, dealing with a bedbug problem, especially in the city, they put the call out to Roscoe. Has anybody seen Roscoe? you got to put in a call to Roscoe. These are these beagles who are specially trained to come into your house or your place of business, and somehow they're able to smell where the bedbugs are, which cause people all kinds of grief. What is the reason for this new invasion of bedbugs into our area?
2: Yeah, you know, this is this is really absurd because I, I, it almost seems like the it, the official line is kind of going out of its way to not— uh, make the you know, implication that it's it's coming because of the influx of migrants, but like I'm not really sure how else you can read what they're saying because they're saying that it is from Central and South America, and the only times that this has happened is you know previously when there's been an influx of people coming from that area, so you know they're blaming it on this like domestic and international travel, and they're really stretching it because they're suggesting that there was a, a bed bug problem in paris during fashion week and some of these uh, new york city celebrities and influencers they returned with bed bugs so that could account for it too i mean they're really really stretching but clearly it's it it's coming from some of these other countries and when people are coming back it's you know it's it's in the effects they have the clothing the luggage and that's where the problem's starting so you know again it seems like the influx really is coming from south and central america but Uh, You know, it could
1: also be, you know, Paris. We're not sure at this point. You know, it's uh, it's come in waves. It is a real nemesis. And I have to blame hipsters and millennials because they like to forage for things that people throw out, like furniture or sometimes beds or sometimes couches or chairs. You know, it's very cool. It was very hip for a while. It's like going to a a lawn sale. It's like going to a, a garage sale, except you're picking up debris that's being put out for trash for, uh, you know, when the special trash day comes along, when they, they come for the bulk. Don't pick any of that up. Don't take it to your house or your place of business, because it could be infested with bed bugs without you even being able to detect it.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily as as hip as it is maybe just cost efficient. I mean, you know, a lot of people are probably just struggling to pay their rent. So if they see this big piece of furniture, I mean, I certainly, you know, I mean, I I don't know how much you can trust the things. I mean, I'm sure there's some things you can find, but if you have anything with material, like I I see people throw out, like they'll take like a couch or a chair. I mean, that boggles the mind. Like, how could you possibly not think there's something living inside of that?
1: Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc Something you warned me about when we first started bringing the cats uh, into the house uh, as you rescued them from the shelters before uh, they would either be destroyed or euthanized. Uh, I had a habit of always having rubber bands on my hand, rubber bands, and there'd be rubber bands everywhere, and you would say, Curtis... Do not leave these rubber bands around because these cats will end up ingesting them. We'll never know. They'll have all kinds of internal problems. And the only remedy might be uh, having a major operation. And I see that that's also now affecting dogs. That uh, life, life-saving surgery at times has to be done because of the household items That people don't even think twice in terms of leaving around.
2: Yeah, so I mean, again, right? So this particular story was regarding a a dog that, you know, was having clear, um, you know, signs of distress because it wasn't eating, and you know, then it started to vomit. So you know, that's obviously usually an indication there's something blocking. But uh, when you know, when this uh, dog was brought to the vet, you know, there's only so much you can see with a lot of the standard equipment that they really have at the the veterinarian places. And that's one of the problems with, you know, having something like the, you know, plastic or the rubber bands. Like they don't show up in the x-rays. So, you know, they had to do an exploratory surgery. But, you know, again, you're going with the assumption that that's what's going on. So, you know, it could get cost prohibitive. But what happened in this situation was they found three socks that this dog had eaten. So now you can imagine socks trying to get through the digestive tract they were you know completely stuck and blocking up the entire system so you know thankfully the dog was saved but you know i mean again it's uh, i see a lot of people when they walk outside you know obviously they have the the muzzle on their dogs and you know that's a good idea obviously for not biting people but you know not picking up random items but that would be an unusual thing i think for most people to think that a dog might eat, you know, their socks. So I'm not sure if that's typical for dog owners. Like, you know, I mean, I I know sometimes dogs, like, they'll grab a pillow or something, but I'm not sure if that's typical behavior, eating a
1: sock. But what about the cats? You've had a history of uh, raising cats, saving cats, uh, bringing them, and socializing cats, uh, sometimes indoors, sometimes in uh, feral cat settings outdoors. What are the things that you saw the cats would ingest, the people innocently left around that could cause the cats all kinds of grief?
2: Well, I mean, I, like, again, I think the, the biggest one is rubber bands because it's so easy to, you know, not notice them. They're very small. They tend to just blend in with the environment. But, you know, and, and for some reason they are on a lot of things you're not thinking about, So like a newspaper and, you know, if, if it falls around – it tends to be an object that the cats like to play with. So as they're batting it around, you know, most times that is a typical thing they do. And because it is so small, it's also an easy thing that they could potentially ingest. And, And obviously it's just it's difficult for them to get. I mean, you know, I've seen cats who will eat cardboard boxes. You know, they have like little things like that. You might see them like chewing on a box. But, you know, in terms of actually ingesting an item, I think, rubber bands um you know anything small always gets me nervous like i would never leave out a paper clip we have one cat that likes to uh play with change so i can't leave anything there for like fear that this cat might eat a piece of change
1: so that would be like a, a penny or a dime
2: anything i hear something rolling around on the floor and i just know like i have to get it
1: But I tell you, I used to always have rubber bands on my wrist, lots of rubber bands. Yes, I know. (laughs) I don't do it any longer because you've drilled it into my mind. You know, you might forget. And there's one rubber band you leave out. One cat would ingest it, and it would be similar to what I went through when I had colitis, ileitis, and Crohn's disease.
2: Yeah, I mean, you—you you, they almost, like, fell off of you rubber bands. You had always so many on you.
1: <laughs> now, there's another uh, story uh, that took place that a tasty treat in your purse can kill your dog, as vets are warning people now. What are they warning about?
2: Well, now, this is something that I wasn't aware of, and, you know, it's focusing um, on dogs as well. Uh, but you know I, I see a little bit of a little bit of a uh, contradictory information as to whether or not it affects cats but what it is is um like any sort of sugar-free item gum would be the perfect example so there's a substance called xylitol which basically is the you know the sh- um calorie-free sugar substitute that tends to be in a lot of these you know typical gums that are sold at, at stores and now apparently the amount that 's within even one piece of gum can be enough to um, you know uh, kill a dog unfortunately it 's lethal so within thirty to sixty minutes of ingesting a piece of gum, they can start to exhibit uh, the you know the symptoms of having this, which would be uh, lethargy, uh, vomiting um, you know, they could start to have seizures if they have enough, they could even have liver failure so if you start to see any symptom like this and or you actually witness the dog injustice but if you saw any of these symptoms and you had just brought your dog outside you know if, there, if there's a worry this you know what they're saying is that you should right away be bringing this dog to the vet because you would need to administer um, you know, immediate treatment to reverse the effects of what's going on because basically it's like hypoglycemia they Blood sugar is lowering. So they would need to have immediate treatment, you know, potentially depending upon how much they had, but, you know, obviously as a cautionary tale. So, I mean, again, think about something like as simple as gum. I see so many people walking their dogs, and, you know, if you're not paying attention to them, or you're on the phone, or you're also push, pushing like a baby carriage or a shopping cart, you know, it's easy not to notice what they're doing every second. And, you know, gum is a very easy thing to be on the the streets of New York City, as I'm sure most people know.
1: I know, it's one 800 It's the Animal Welfare Hour exclusive to WABC. one 800 Now, let's head out to Frank Morano Land, Staten Island, which has become the land of wild turkeys. And you may have remembered when I got the nomination of the Staten Island GOP, I was on my way to Brooklyn. On Highland Boulevard, uh, my oldest son, Anthony, was with me, some of the guardian angels. And I got out on Highland and Seabue Avenue, and I saw all these wild turkeys crossing Highland Boulevard, basically going from east to west. And I thought they were going to get hit by the cars. So I jumped out. I'm trying to, you know, sort of like herd them in the right direction. And people were stopping me in the cars and say... They know how to cross the street. They know when the light turns. They're here every day. They live here. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what do you mean they live here? They, yeah, down by down by Father Capadina Boulevard uh, near the hospital area. They they live in the trees there. And I went down there and I saw them. They're everywhere. Now, there's a slip and fall case that involves the wild turkeys of Staten Island? Well, you know,
2: so first of all, this... How they were possibly dragged into this case, I have no idea from a legal perspective because it's extremely faulty logic what they're trying to present here. So, this there was a, a 60 year old woman. About um, this was in 2019. She was at the uh, Staten Island University Hospital. They have a an Ocean Breeze facility is what it's called. So she drops her husband off at the you know the the front area. She parks the car. And she's going to get a cup of coffee across the, you know, across the parking lot area. But she sees a group of, according to her, right, this is part of her her lawsuit. She sees a group of turkeys sitting on the lawn. And because she's so traumatized of wild turkeys, she feels the need to go very, very far around and winds up walking through an area and now the, now the really important part of this case is that she, you know, went on like a sidewalk and she, she tripped on an uneven cement thing. So, you know, it's really a faulty sidewalk, you know, trip yeah, this... and fall type case that she's trying to claim. But somehow these wild turkeys got dragged into this entire lawsuit <laughs> as though they're to blame for her falling. Like I, when I saw this lawsuit, I envisioned they were like chasing her through the parking lot. They were just standing there doing nothing.
1: You know what this might lead to? <laughs>
2: Well, you know, when you like when you wrote it up to me, that's what concerned me Yeah.
1: You know. Sure. They're, they're obviously operating these wild turkeys on the property of Staten Island University Hospital. But if they get walloped with a lawsuit, they might determine to round up the turkeys, <laughs> the wild turkeys and euthanize them or gas them or kill them.
2: Yeah, and, and again, that you know that part of it is completely absurd. Every other element of this case that she has has to do with you know people blocking the sidewalk, which you know I'm, as you know people know as well. You know, there's a like a cutout in the sidewalk to allow people to more easily gain access. You know, if it's going uphill, so you know people um, double parking the car, you can't get around. Then you're tripping on a sidewalk that's uneven. But again, to drag them into it. And, again, I know how difficult it is for feral cats to find um, places where they're willing to, you know, the property owners somehow are willing to extend this invitation to them so that they can live without being, you know, tormented in some way. So, to your point, if this causes them to have to rid the area of them and then prevent future ones from living there, that would be completely shameful.
1: Well, we have to try to convince uh, the Mama Luke, Frank Morano... Uh, He's always crying poverty. He doesn't have enough money. Um, You're not going to believe this, Nancy. He wants to get one of the wild turkeys and have that for his Thanksgiving Day meal.
2: Wow. That sounds kind of like Frank.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's so low budget. So low budget. Say it ain't so, Frank. Say it ain't so. And that leads to another lawsuit. It seems like. It's not just uh, teaching people to do a slip and fall in front of a car or a bus or a truck. It's uh, to sue P- uh, to get a lawsuit going when it involves animals. For instance, they claim there's this head-butting New Jersey cow like Bobo Brazil, the wrestler, used to do in the ring and head you, that this head-butting New Jersey cow hurt a teen in a petting zoo And now they're suing the petting zoo for, like, millions of dollars.
2: Yeah, and actually they're suing, like, beyond the zoo itself. They're suing the township and the county and the Zoological Society of the county. So they're just trying to figure out who has the deepest pockets here. So, you know, so this is a combination of a zoo uh, slash petting zoo. And, you know, several years ago there was, uh, you know, a teenager, 14 years old, uh, you know, going around this petting zoo area element of it where they had, like, more of the livestock creatures, like the, the sheep and, you know, this cow, which is a 10-year-old uh, cow named Jilly the Cow, like, very popular. So, uh, the, you know, the kid is next to the cow taking, I don't know if it was a selfie or some type of thing, and then the cow, like, you know, turned its head, and the ki- the kid was hit in the head, and then supposedly as a result of this happening... You know, the kid fell, the kids went to the hospital. For the past two years, the kid's been back and forth, there's continuing medical bills. Like, this was some really, really traumatizing situation. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they have any video footage of it, but the the part, so they're trying to say that the zoo failed because they didn't warn people of this um, aggressive cow. (laughs) So apparently it's considered aggressive just by virtue of the fact that it can shake its head back and forth. So... Again, I think that's a little bit odd, but I think the oddest part of this entire case is that the amount of animals that live in the zoo. So they have, like, the wildest things you can imagine, like lions, snow leopards, uh, tigers, bears. And somehow the suit that is that potentially could bring them down is the cow. <laughs> like that's. The mm.
1: part. Yeah, and think <laughs> of this. Everybody loves this cow. This is, like, the number one attraction in that whole zoo. So they want to sue... Everything uh, attached to this cow.
2: Yeah, like nobody saw it coming from the cow.
1: To, to their credit, they have not euthanized or destroyed the cow. The cow is still at the petting zoo. But again, this could lead to those who manage this zoo deciding it ain't worth the potential liability. So let's just, uh, you know, slen- uh, send this uh, cow that everybody loves to the slaughterhouse.
2: You know, and there's a, an entire industry that exists throughout, you know, the country and the world about people taking pictures with animals. And when they start over-regulating it, because it's a, unfortunately a pretty bad type of industry, they can start abusing the animals, you know, in a lot of ways to get them to pose for a nice picture. So I don't I don't think you really want to lock them up too much. If you're standing next to a pen with an animal, you know, I, I would think just be smart enough not to put your head next to it. So... Maybe some common sense needs to be interjected into these lawsuits because they seem to be getting out of hand, and none of them are protecting the animals.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to see if there's any other case that involves this same cow headbutting anybody.
2: anybody. <laughs> the, the cow has a history.
1: Come on. I mean, what a frivolous lawsuit, right?
2: Indeed. Indeed. Our number
1: one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 That's one eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc and I see you out. Not far from where you were raised in uh, Bohemia in Suffolk County, the Long Island SPCA is probing an animal sacrifice and a series of sacrifices that may have occurred in Mid-Island. What's that about?
2: Um, so, you know, again, I apparently this is something that continues to come up. Um, this is in Suffolk County near Union Cemetery. So someone was walking their dog. They found... Uh, bags with body parts of, uh, you know, certain, like, like chickens and things like that. And then there was also other uh, paraphernalia that would be indicative of, um, I don't know, like, other wo- like, sacrifices for whatever type of belief purposes. So, like, you know, animal sacrifice for this purpose. So they're offering, uh, you know, rewards for anyone who's aware of this because, obviously, you know, this they're trying to, you know, get these people for animal cruelty and charge them and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, again, I don't know how uh, how prevalent this is, but, I mean, you've spoken of this a number of times as well. So, you know, apparently it's still continuing out there.
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of times it's done in parks where people, uh, whether they uh, follow Santaria or some other religious practices that talk about the open... Uh, you know, uh, killing of animals as part of some kind of ritual or ceremony. Prospect Park is notorious for this. The southern area of Prospect Park, as you you head down towards the circle on Flatbush Avenue, they would have people, they would have Santa Ria events at night, and they would uh, kill the animals viciously. And oftentimes, uh, the politics of it is they want to leave these people alone because they say it's all part of their religious beliefs instead of cracking down on it you know they basically um throw it under the under the rug they'd rather not deal with it but it's a major problem crotona park in the bronx prospect park in brooklyn i can go through park after park where some of these rituals take place uh, that involve the slaughter uh of animals the slitting of animals throats uh, and the spreading of their remains like in a circle, or a pentagram, or a triangle, or a rectangle, and it's something the government doesn't even want to deal with because they can't stop it, but they just won't.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, unfortunately, it's a it's a tough road to think that they will be able to deal with it, just given their overall stance towards animals. I'm not feeling too hopeful, but you know, we'll see.
1: Well, it, it definitely has to be pressed when we come back. We got to talk about the new state law that prevents animal abuse offenders from owning pets. As to whether that's uh, effective or, or not effective, or basically one of the many laws that are on the books but are never actually um, uh, uh, exercised uh, by law enforcement, they could well take advantage of that law and put some really bad hombres in jail over it. Our number is 1 800 848 9222.
0: I see. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa. Now with Nancy Slewa. Here's Curtis Slewa.
1: Back on track, Nancy. I had mentioned a new state law that prevents animal abuse offenders from owning pets. Can you give us an update on that and how it's being utilized and whether it's having any impact?
2: Okay so the the story that is uh you know is new would be with in Texas state they're now declaring that uh you know if you're convicted of abuse against animals and it, you know it's very narrowly defined um to assistance animals um animals that aren't livestock so i guess they're 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 in trouble and also if you're convicted of dog fighting and the idea is that you can't now it they only banned you for five years from pet ownership following a conviction. So now everyone in this state like they're applauding this, oh this is great. You know, it's gonna lead to a lot of assistance. So what I was you know trying to compare it to is this is something that happened in New York City um almost ten years ago, um to the date and it was it's the same exact concept. Now this was pushed for the same reason, you know, we don't want people who abuse animals to potentially own them again and be in the same exact position to do this. So this was created 10 years ago. Now, the idea is anyone who's convicted of an animal abuse crime, they have to proactively register. So that's like number one problem, right? All this time that you have them in the system, this doesn't automatically just update where they're considered a, a, you know, an animal abuse register. The other problem is because I tried to access this list. Now, there's only certain people who are required to run this background check so to speak and there's only certain people who have access to it. So if you can't be in if you can't be around if you're convicted of this crime and you can't own a pet, you can't be around them, you can't live with them, you can't have custody of them. So if you wanted to rent a place to a person, for example, and they were an animal abuser, you wouldn't as a landlord know that they were an animal abuser. So that's not so now, the perfect example of this this happened all within the time frame of this law having been passed in New York City. This is um a case that you were intimately involved with where in twenty nineteen um initially this this individual uh like he, at the time he was in his early twenties, he was convicted of um breeding animals, abusing animals'cause you know they were able to see him coming in out of the apartment, so he got um you know convicted right there two years later. He wound up getting in trouble again because now he was breeding them within the apartment. The landlord was trying to kick him out. He wound up getting evicted, ultimately. The dogs were confiscated. He came back. He wound up attacking the landlord, going to jail for assault, also getting animal abuse, um, you know, registered. And two years after that, he's just pulled over. He's in the system again in the past year because he was pulled over with 18 dogs in his possession. So the answer to the question as to whether these registries work is no, they don't. They have no effect. They don't mean anything because all of these, none of this prevents any of these people from owning these dogs again. So it has to go a lot deeper than this. And again, I think this goes to the point that animal abuse needs to be treated the same as abuse against people, because look at this person, how many more animals are going to abuse? He actually came back to the place that he was evicted from and beat up the, the landlord and her husband who owned this house. I mean, He is a person. He is someone who's abusing people. He's a perfect example, and he's still walking around the streets free now.
1: Oh, I remember that. In fact, this is the odyssey he went on. He had an apartment in Bay Ridge, and it took forever to evict him. Uh, He was, again, using the ruse of getting the apartment to his mother. His mother would get the apartment, and then she would turn it over to him. Uh, the guy who was involved in that case, uh, was the guy who just got reelected councilman in Bay Ridge, Justin Brandon. So now he leaves that place and his mother gets an apartment in the border of Canarsie and East Flatbush. And she does the same thing. She turns over the apartment to this animal abuser and he, he set up a torture t- chamber. When I went in there with Rob Sarah, we just, It was so revolting. And finally, they took the dogs away uh, so that they could be uh, spared the uh, continued torture. And you're right. This guy got arrested. He got cut loose. He comes back. He beats up the landlord in front of his kid. They're traumatized for life. He then ends up... Uh, breeding more dogs, he gets stopped on, I believe it was Woodhaven Boulevard. This was in Robert Holden's district. They bring him to the precinct, same thing. And this guy just continues to abuse animals as if he has a right to do it. Everybody knows who he is. And yet he just goes about doing it and then just moves from place to place where the landlords don't even know.
2: And what his history in, and is. And to put it in perspective, too, when he was pulled over in the car because of the illegal, you know, exhaust, the sound, he had 18 dogs in a sedan. That's how he travels with these dogs. So you can imagine how little care. I mean, he's breeding these dogs. He's making money off of... And again, that's another person who who doesn't um, have to comply with any of these regulations, dog breeders. So they, they they have a total loophole in all of these these laws. So again, if you're really trying to you know, hold these people accountable, you have to start locking them up. I mean, this isn't an offense that you can just let people continue to walk around the streets. This guy right now is out. He'll be back in court uh, the end of this month. All he does, that's all he does, just revolve into door. Oh, just show up every couple months. You're fine. No, no big deal. That's all happens.
1: And yet they're not sharing information uh, ahead of time. They're actually making it conducive for him to just go about abuse, and I mean the abuse that we saw in that apartment, hanging dogs upside down who he claimed were not obedient, the smell, the wretched conditions. I'll never forget it. It was a horror house, and he continues, continues to attack animals and abuse them, and law enforcement uh, deals with it as well. Uh, Not our problem. That's why you need an animal welfare committee in our city council to deal with these kind of issues, to put the pressure on the agencies to follow up and to make sure that due diligence is paid. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to James calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, James.
3: Very good. Thank you very much. I just want to tell you that my granddaughter works for Bird Sanctuary Place in Boise, Idaho, and what she does, she captures the birds, puts diabetes, puts tags on them, and and you know they go, they go all over the place. But they come here because they they treated well, and by putting tags on the initial initial them, and they find out all over the wherever they go, they know what they are and where they're from. So it's it's a, quite a Interesting thing, and uh, she's very good at it. So I just want—I just wanted to let you know that—that that that's, that's what should be done. That's on uh, these birds and so on. Oh,
1: oh, yeah. We learn quite a bit about bird sanctuaries. They don't often get the attention and recognition that they uh, deserve. We have uh, a great bird sanctuary right around the corner from us, uh, Nancy. They actually take in all kinds of birds and tried to the best of their ability to repair whatever damage is done. Do you remember the name of that place? I mean, even Rudy Giuliani recently uh, trapped a pigeon on uh, the the um, uh, the actually the outside of his apartment. The, the pigeon was stuck, so he was able to get the pigeon. And he came all the way over to our neighborhood. He had the pigeon in a box, and apparently they repaired that pigeon and were able to release uh, uh, the pigeon back into uh, the uh, area where the pigeon had first uh, come from, over on the uh, Upper East Side.
2: Yeah, there's um, the the place is called Wild Bird Fund. It's I mean it's one of the only places I've seen, certainly in the city, that you can you know potentially uh, drop an injured bird off at, and you know they you know you pretty much they'll just take any bird that you bring in, and you know you fill out the little intake thing, and you know I mean it's it's great because. There obviously there is a lot of uh, birds that we you know we find here and you know the the pigeons there it's tough for them we see a lot of injured pigeons um, you know but as long as you know like I said it's it's great just to have some resource like that where they, where someone will open a door and take this injured animal and try to help this animal I mean that's so rare
1: it is a great organization there let's go to Janice in New Jersey your turn to be heard here at WABC Janice.
3: Oh, hi, uh, Nancy and Curtis. It's so good to talk to you both again. Um, it's it's very heartwarming to know that you can talk to you two, that you really care about people and the animals. And because sometimes, you know, it's hard to not really connect with people that really understand. But um, I had the four same cat litter that i raised that i found near my house in the woods and i had four of them i had two long-haired cats and two short-haired and thinking about it now it's funny that when you were talking before about the rubber bands with the cats and and things that you leave around my first cat that i lost he was 10 years old icky and that was in 2015. He was eating rubber bands around that I had. And, I mean, I, I do keep things quite kept away. And I'm very cautious about that. But for some reason, he was catching them. I don't know if it was from balloons or something, but um, he did eat some of the rubber bands at some times. And I kept watching and I don't know how it happened, but he did pass it through the litter box a few times. I did see it, but now it's like it haunts me terribly because I had brought him to the vet many a times, and then I had the blood work done, and his BUN was like up to 800 at, at that time, and the vet told me, he said, oh, your cat he's very sick, and but I, I, till this day, it still bothers me that I, I don't know if, if it was those rubber bands that made him that sick. And of all my cats, I never put a cat down, but he was my only one I did. And I'm very sorry I did because mm. I just wanted him to go peacefully at home. But now I... Lost my other two of the litter, one October 8th of 21, and just this past January, my only girl, little baby. So now I have my fourth one, my second long haired one, sweetie, and God bless him. He's going to be 18. Like I found him two days before Thanksgiving, the whole litter. This was in 2005. But I've been taking him for fluids. For the past year, four times a week, I take him for fluids for his the kidneys. And Knockwood, I I have pleased to report he's been doing so well. But I I do have to agree with you, with you, all of your listeners about your conversation about the rubber band. You have to be so careful. Go oh, ahead and, yeah, and,
1: and I'd like to say Janice, you could just hear in the tone of your voice, uh, the pain that you still, you still experience from the loss of these treasured cats, their pets, they're really family members. Uh, I've had so many conversations, Nancy, with uh, people who have had pets who are like family members just like uh, Janice has, and they talk more painfully about the loss of their animals than even some people who are closest to them.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and of course, it's it's a it's such a, a tough uh, moment, and especially the idea of when you're, you know, you're obviously you're trying to rely on the uh, professional opinion of, uh, you know, veterinarians, and you know, and and and, and again, the idea, right? Like, uh, you know, sometimes you you have them, and it's it's so. It, I think that's just the urge. You you always want to. You know, sort of keep them with you as long as possible, but but at the same time, you know, you don't want to do right by them, and yeah, I mean, I, like I, I think as long as you, you know, did everything you could during the lifetime, you know, I'm sure you brought a lot of joy. So, I mean, I wouldn't let that that be the 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 thing you think in your head. I would just focus on the positive stuff, really.
1: Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Tone.
3: how you doing, Curtis and uh, Nancy? Uh, about the dogs being abused I was wondering if you could try uh, a different method with these these people that do this uh, because there's something wrong with them to begin with yeah. uh, and uh, how many uh, how many people that uh, are serial killers abuse animals all of them but I'm yeah. saying uh yeah. maybe we could go after these people with taxes maybe you set the IRS on them they're probably not paying taxes. They don't do. Uh, they don't go by the laws. So maybe you could attack them in a different way to, you know, to stop this.
1: Well, I will tell you, Tony. Uh, just like uh, when you find out that there are pedophiles uh, who have been arrested by the police, and they come from all walks of life. I think, Nancy, my experience with animal abusers are that they come from all walks of life. Some you. You already had a, a feeling they were animal abusers, and yet others, you had absolutely no idea. It was like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde when it came to how they dealt with animals, as opposed to how they dealt, at least initially, with people. You would never think that when they went home, they spent their time abusing their animals.
2: Yeah, I mean, and and again, I think this is you know this is where you really have to start taking this behavior seriously because. Yes, it's it's completely abnormal to be doing that. And to have someone who has the complete um, dominion and control over a living creature, I mean, they're the prisoner in their home. You really have to, you know, I mean, this this idea of trying to protect them, oh, they didn't really do anything, so no. The goal is you have to protect the animals. That's what you're there for, to make sure that nothing's happening to them. So, you know, I think there definitely needs to be more psychological um, sort of a unraveling of why people do this you know is it just a reaction to trauma like there's got to be something because yeah if we can't lock these people away which clearly you know the laws aren't willing to do we have to figure out why these people are doing this in the first place maybe they need to be on medication maybe something's going on that needs that can be addressed with these people
1: absolutely now if anybody would like to continue this conversation about animal welfare issues how can they go about uh, contacting you nancy
2: uh, well, the website uh, guardianangels dot org. Um, you know, I know some people having trouble lately with uh, the emailing of that. I'll be updating that this week, so hopefully everything will be user friendly. But in the interim, also Twitter Nancy Sliwa Esquire Esq. And you can DM me.
1: And uh, with the uh, end of the election cycle, although uh, very few people came out to vote in the city council manic races in the city of New York. We did get quite a few people who came out to vote for our candidate, Kelly Klingman, on the animal welfare line in Astoria, first time ever. And Bob Holden, as he was running for re-election in Middle Village and Glendale and uh, Maspeth, first time ever in the history of this country that there was a viable animal welfare party. So we'll keep everybody abreast of details as that begins to get utilized by candidates running for office and it pri- prioritizes animal welfare issues. Uh, when we return, oh, the Mac Daddy is back. Uh, got a lot to talk about. His homeboy, Eric Adams, whether, in fact, he was calling him on the burner phones that we now realize he had for three days when the FBI had picked up Eric Adams' uh, three phones uh, laptop, computer, and apparently other technological communication equipment, courtesy of the FBI.